Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode, part of the Apologetic series, posted December 18, 2018, titled, Never Use Romans 120 with Non-Believers. It's not quite as popular as John 3.16, but Romans 1.20 is a frequently heard verse in apologetic circles. But unlike the gospel passage proclaiming to all the good news that God so loved the world that he sent his son, this Romans verse is a terrible one to use with non-Christians. If you want them to become believers, that is. Here's the verse in context, in the opening chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. These were Paul's words to Christians. And when a believer hears these words, there's a strange mix of concern for the unbeliever, but also a secret glow of satisfaction that their earthly foes will be met with God's wrath. This passage is undoubtedly intended to address a question from the church. Why do some people not believe? Why do some reject the faith? Is there something the non-believers know that we don't? The answer in this passage is simple. Everyone already believes, but some people just want to sin. When you are a believer, this is the ultimate affirmation. No intellectual argument ever needs to be made to a non-believer. Nor does any non-believer's intellectual challenge need to be examined. Anyone who disagrees is merely lying to themselves. The believer can sleep at night knowing that they are part of the small group that will admit the truth. Wrapped in the warm blanket of God's promise that every single human on the planet who disagrees with you is a dishonest fool. So why is this passage a poor choice to convert non-believers? Is it because the non-believer may have their feelings hurt by being called a fool? Is it because the concept of God's wrath is too scary? You can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, but sometimes tough love is needed. No, that's not it. To understand why using Romans 1.20 is a mistake, you'll need to put yourself temporarily into the mindset of a non-believer. This may be difficult, but I happen to be a non-believer, and I will do my best to guide you. The first type of possible non-believer is exactly the kind you imagine. They're fully convinced of God, but love sinning so much that they plug their ears and sing la 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 so that by some sheer force of will, the voice of the God they know about will be drowned out. Quoting Romans 1 to such an unbeliever might serve to make them feel they've been caught red-handed and convict them to dropping their pretense. 
Of course, according to the passage, this individual already has full knowledge, so any presentation from you is redundant. Also, could such an individual really be called an unbeliever? By this narrative, they are a believer, they're just a denier. But is it possible that there are unbelievers who really don't believe? What about people of other faiths like Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Mormonism, or even humanism, who are devoutly trying to live out the strict morality their faith adheres to at great cost to themselves? Does it seem like their motivation for not believing the Christian God is so that they can be wicked? The opposite seems to be true. Are such people really consciously suppressing truth and unrighteousness? Do you recall the time before you believed in Jesus? If so, then you must admit that you didn't consciously believe and not believe at the same time. If it existed at all, this knowledge of God Romans talks about was subconscious for you. I'm going to ask you to grant, for now, that whatever you think is happening subconsciously, there are unbelievers that lack conscious knowledge of God. Otherwise, there couldn't really even be such a thing as an unbeliever. And one last quick other thing to establish about the mind of an unbeliever. They tend to not feel they can have absolute certainty about things. For example, you might ask an unbeliever, how do you know you're not in the matrix? Not a brain in a vat. Not a simulation. Not in a dream state. And the unbeliever will admit that they don't know any of those things for certain. But they will fall back on Descartes' I think, therefore I am. The non-believer may not be certain about anything else, but they are certain that whatever the nature of reality really is, they are experiencing thoughts. This they know. So these non-believers are certain of their thoughts, and their knowledge of God is subconscious at best. Okay, so what happens when you say to them, the inerrant word of God says that what may be known about God is plain to you, because God has made it plain to you. But because their God knowledge, assuming it exists, is subconscious at best, this knowledge is objectively not plain to them. A knowledge of the Christian God is not in their thoughts. And because the one thing this unbeliever is completely certain of is their own thoughts, well, said unbeliever has no choice but to conclude that this Bible passage is woefully wrong. It insists that the book knows more about the thoughts of the unbeliever than the unbeliever does. The one thing they feel they can be certain of, for better or worse. What the book says about their thoughts completely and directly contradicts their thoughts. At an intellectual level, they have no coherent choice but to reject. And since that passage is in error about the thing of which they are most certain, they are bound to extrapolate that the Bible is likely to be even more wrong about things of which they are uncertain. Look, absolutely continue to use this Romans 1 passage in your own devotions. Draw comfort that your book can read minds and motives, and that every non-believer you encounter is, by definition and necessity, a dishonest, deceitful liar. Enjoy the fact that whatever standard of evidence you require is the right standard, and that anyone asking for more is wicked rather than skeptical. Maybe even smile about a few pesky non-believers that you'll be secretly happy to see face wrath. However, if your goal is evangelism, take it from me that this passage does more harm than good. As misguided as you think the unbeliever may be, from their most honest perspective, Romans 1 has to be wrong and they'll therefore be even more close to the rest of the message. The writer of Romans often warns followers to not put stumbling blocks in front of people. Don't use this passage to evangelize. There are plenty of others. Of course, you could entertain the notion that somewhere on the face of this globe, sometime in the course of human history, 
that there has been one lone non-believer who has told the truth and who simply and honestly doesn't see God plainly for some reason. And if that has ever happened, maybe this passage is wrong. Or not. Up to you. In closing, I'd like to ask a small favor. And I'm serious about this. Please bookmark this video. And whenever you see someone quoting Romans 1.20 to non-believers, share this link with them. This has to stop for the kingdom's sake.